A reading of the seventh chapter of the Revelation to John, beginning with verse 9. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these robed in white and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, You are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God and worship Him day and night within His temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. A reading from the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to John, beginning with verse 22. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple, in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The words that I do in my Father's name testify to me. But you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else. And no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
depending on who you ask, my little girl at two years old was unwanted. Depending on who you ask. At one years old, she wasn't important enough to her mother to make different decisions. Depending on who you ask. Because that's the way all of these kinds of problems that human beings face are. All of us at some point have felt unwanted and all of us at some point will feel unwanted again. And the questions that are before the church in these days are difficult. Because there are always marginal questions that come up on the edges of those questions. For instance, if I can take the life of a person in my womb that is inconvenient for me, then why can't I not kill my parent when he becomes inconvenient for me? These are the realities that the church must wrestle with. We don't get to deal with questions at the base level of emotion and the base levels of convenience because for us what's important is the honoring of God in all things. And so all of these questions come to be very, 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 very difficult and are not simple. I could never tell a 14-year-old raped by her father she must carry that child. I just couldn't do it. I don't know what God would say. Some people would say, I'm going to go straight to hell for that opinion. Y'all know that, don't you? But here we sit in a moment in a crisis that I believe is contrived to affect elections and nothing else. We don't even know what's going to come of it, and yet today people are going to march on the Catholic Church whose very concern is a Christological concern because if a child in the womb is a human being, then Jesus was not human in Mary's womb. It has more to do with things that matter beyond myself and my choices and my convenience. And I remember that at one time, someone would have said that my little one wasn't as important as other things. She came to me one day and she said, Dad, we got Mondays, we got Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. You know what we need, Dad? I said, what's that? She said, we need fun day. My God, ain't she right? I feel like the collective world just needs to shut up for a minute. All of us. And step back. And remember to see one another. I've heard awful things this week. Have you said about other people by other people? In a rare occasion um, at a revival, um, I talked a person into being angry at their pastor and felt bad about that. Apparently because I, I used the word grumbler in sermon and this person is a serial grumbler and so she thought the pastor had contracted me to talk about her. You get that? <laughs> and that's how everybody responds to everything in this world today. Have you noticed that? We must be outraged and offended at everything that doesn't affirm me. You know what I say? I say that's just straight out of the belly of hell. 
What we must be is open to the possibilities that Christ is present in other people's suffering. Open to the possibilities that God has something other than what this world can offer to the world because this world is broken. And I don't how any, see how anybody can stand back and watch the news, even the feel-good news like headline news in the morning with that cute Robin Mead. That's the one I like to watch. Y'all know what I'm saying? Because she don't tell me what to think, right? She just tells me what's going on in the world, throws some puppies and cats in and some little kids playing sports for good measure. But somehow we've got to figure out how to take a collective step back and remember that there are greater promises beyond the broken problems of this world. That this world is scheduled to be healed. That there is, in fact, a fun day. That when all, it won't always be Friday. And I'm speaking to that idea of Good Friday and the death of Jesus and His giving of Himself for the suffering of the world to alleviate that suffering and change it. I've often wondered what in the world would happen if, if we, the church, were more committed to our vocation to take in people and be their mother. Would abortion convenience sake even exist if young people knew they could bring their baby to the doorsteps of the church and the church would raise it? The answer is no, isn't it? It wouldn't exist. These are the problems that the church must think about as we ponder what in the world do we do about days that are really just tired and hurtful days? What do we do about days when things just don't seem like you can catch a break. I mean, I preached a heck of a sermon Tuesday night. You know what I'm saying? And somebody got mad at their preacher. I know it was good because another preacher went with me. He said, man, that thing was excellent. He said, what did you do Monday and Tuesday? I said, well, apparently I was working on how to blow Claire's church up. He said, you did a good job. But it wasn't the intent. What happens to us is our hearts get in the way of everything because we have latched on to our own positions and our own assumptions and assume that we are the magistrate who gets to inform God what God should do. And we are not. Christ is the head of the church, not the other way around. I can't stand to hear someone pray as if they're telling God what God should do. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever heard that? Like somehow because they say it, God's got to do it. Who scares me. I know what I am. I have no right to tell God what to do. But I've been asked in every way to come and ask God to do things, haven't I? What do we do about all these hard things? I think somewhere in the midst of it, we might have to step back and remember that there's beauty in the world that today when suddenly, supposedly people might be marching on Catholic churches right now, within those doors, people are praising the living God. In places where people are filled with hope and sense of loss, the people of Christ are meeting them in those places this very day to serve their needs and lift them up and walk with them in their hurt and their misery. And that's our calling, dear ones, that when things get hard... We don't get tough. We get behind Jesus who is tough and follow Him into the hardness and be faithful. Be faithful. 
not generators of hurt, not generators of apathy, not generators of destruction, but people who witness to the goodness of Christ and to the fact that there is still goodness and beauty in this world. Haven't you seen some beauty in the world this week? Have you seen someone love someone else, care for someone else? Have you seen someone be gentle to someone else, someone feed someone else, someone house, clothe, love, serve someone else? Have you seen people walk hard ways and lift up the way of peace? Have you not also heard voices that said that the church can be different without being faithless? I bet that somewhere in the world today you have been met with the hope that God is still at work. Last week is over. Today we begin a new work. Today we begin a new week. And the good news is is that we do begin it in the eighth day. We do begin it on fun day. We do begin it in the hope that's before us in Revelation 7. We do begin it in that vision. Because see, right before... Right before that, John has been recounting the breaking of seals and the coming of horsemen who bring calamity, who bring conquest and war and famine and death. And he takes a break and says, but, but hold on now, hold on. The church will persevere through Christ. A lot of people have decided that that's not possible, that Jesus can't see us through hard times, and so they've invented this rapture theology and said that, we're all going to get sucked out before the great ordeal and all this kind of stuff. But I'm just telling you, you can't make it right in Scripture. I can't anyway. Some of y'all might be able to do it, but I can't. But what I can make right is this vision of John that says that all who are baptized and have faith in Christ and have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb will stand midst of the one who is life itself and will be comforted and renewed that the days of struggle will not last forever. And this reality, because John saw it as the plan of God, means that that reality is a present reality for us. We stand in that reality right now. It's not just about tomorrow, but right now that as the gathered people of Christ, Tears are wiped away, our hope is renewed, our strength is renewed, and we are sent out to love the unlovable and lift up the unwanted and to adopt that child whose mother wouldn't care for her as our own. You might think, well, God, well, you know, how was that for us? We couldn't have our own kids, so we decided to be selfish and go out and steal somebody else's. Some people could see it that way, couldn't they? But what came to us is that there, through a friend of Samantha's is that there wasn't anything spectacular about our DNA. And I thought, gosh, she's right. <laughs> Nothing spectacular about us. And God led us to take someone into our home and, and give them love. And as I reflected on this week and the difficulty that I've seen in the world, the sense of just give upness that infected me for a couple hours. I was reminded that what Samantha and I did is what God is doing for all of us. Saying, you come to me, I will adopt you into my family and I will hold you through all things and keep you when no one will snatch you from my hands. 
No one. No one. Much argument has been made about Jesus' words saying that nobody would snatch Him as our hands and some of our friends would say, well, that means that, that salvation is permanent, absolute. All you got to do is come up to the front of the rail, say you're a sinner, say a prayer, get your ticket punched, and you're done. Bible doesn't read that way. Jesus said, if you disown me, I will disown you before my Father in heaven. That scares me. Because there are times when I haven't been faithful. There are times when people have asked me a hard question and I just want to walk off. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, every Sunday when you come up here, because every time I get into this thing, I have a chance to make a new enemy. Donna Rock. <laughs> yep. Every single time. Somebody will leave mad. What are we to do, church? Two things, I think. Number one, we remember who holds us in His hand. We are caught firmly in the grasp of Jesus Christ. I don't have to grasp for God. I don't have to reach up and pull God down to me. God came to us to grab us. I don't have to worry about grabbing and holding on to Jesus. I've just got to trust that Jesus is holding on to me. You hear the difference? And the second thing, to be that people in John's vision. To be a people who live as those who have been washed in the blood of Jesus. Who through their baptism and through their faith in Christ have been transformed into the people of Christ. For the purpose of loving God and loving our neighbor. That, I think, dear ones, is our way forward in hard times. To remember who holds us and remember those we are called to hold. Because the day Jesus walked out of that tomb, the new creation began. You guys have heard that Bible verse Paul says when he says, Anyone is Christ, is in Christ, there is new creation. You heard that before? That all began when Jesus stepped out of the tomb and the eighth day began. The first seven days of creation are past. The new creation has come. Fun day has come. And we, church, can walk out into a world that's hurting and broken and help it hold together the hardships of life and couple them to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that all things will be made right. And that every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. Remember who holds you. And remember that He has called you to hold others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.